the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson here to get your weekend started right. That's right. It is the big old bag of mail. Like so much, uh, so much joy comes from d- diving into the big old bag of mail. I'm, you know, got my feelings hurt a little bit, but that's okay. That's what happens when the, uh, when you get the Georgia fans all riled up and mad and, and that's okay, you know, but, uh, but I appreciate, uh, all of the interesting questions. The conversations that we have sometimes lead you to ask even better follow-ups and, uh, and we are going to get into some of those today along with, uh, some others that stand out for potential interesting conversation. So, Let's begin with sort of a, a historical, wide open, throw everything out there. This question comes from Hugh. Hugh asks, which year in the BCS era do you wish there was a four-team playoff? Simple and to the point. I, I, that's very simple and to the point. He didn't blow smoke. He didn't tell us how much he hated Danny at first, but likes him. He didn't tell us he thinks Bud's a great addition to the show. He didn't tell him that I'm not as annoying to him as I used to be. He just got to the question. I don't even know why it's on the show, Chip. He didn't anybody's ass. <laughs> he did. He shit. He didn't. He didn't suck up enough to get included. Yeah, I don't know. Is what you're I'm saying? Not- I'm not. I don't know if I want to answer this question. I, all right. Well, fine. I'll get it started. So 2004 and 2011 are the ones that stand out, right? Because 2004 is when you've got Auburn left out. 2011, you end up with LSU and Alabama. And I think that for like historical purposes, it could have been huge because the final uh, BCS standings in 2011, yes, we always talk about Oklahoma State at the number three spot, but Stanford at number four. I mean, if you were to, to let that Cardinal team into a college football playoff scenario, I don't think that Stanford at the four would beat that LSU team at the one, but that LSU team at the one, the way that they played, the way that they won games, I'm not positive that they would blow out that Stanford team. So the, the 2004 and 2011 stand out because of um, you know what they meant to the you know conversation around college football and the eventual expansion into uh, the college football playoff era. So those are the ones that, uh, without a doubt, stood out to me. See, I, I thought 2004 was the obvious answer because of Auburn, but like the four seed that year wouldn't have been great. For me, the one that was most interesting to me was the year before. I liked 2003 because that was year where like in 2004, it was three undefeated teams in 2003. It was three, one loss teams. Like it was USC, LSU and Oklahoma and USC's loss was a triple overtime loss to Cal. 
LSU lost to Florida in early October and Oklahoma like got its butt kicked by Kansas State in the Big 12 title game. And like the recency bias was not evident that year because Oklahoma still got into the title game and it lost obviously to LSU 21 to 14. And I think one of the more boring title games that I can remember, but Michigan finished fourth that year and USC then was named national. I think they played Alabama. I think who did USC play? It was Alabama. I think they won. They were named the AP champion. Obviously, the coaches poll named LSU the champion because that's how it worked with the BCS. So the BCS was designed to get rid of split champions. And then only a few years in, we had a split, a split champion. champion. <laughs> so I think that like USC, LSU, Oklahoma, and Michigan was the team that finished fourth. I think that would have been a pretty good year to have a playoff. I still think LSU probably wins it in the end, but I'm not sure Oklahoma does really deserve to be in there. Cause I think that USC team was better than that Oklahoma team that year. That wasn't the Iowa team that, or that wasn't the USC team that smoked Iowa in the orange bowl. I think it was, Oh God, let me check. Does Oklahoma I, Iowa fans love me. So I just want to make sure that like, <laughs> like if we can point out that Iowa got blown out in the BCS game, we, we should do so. Um, <laughs> But I, I'm just, I'm trying to remember USC playing Bama, but I thought I thought I, I, that was the year USC crushed Iowa with uh, Brad Banks at Iowa and Carson Palmer's last year at USC. So uh, yeah, thirty-eight to seventeen. Okay. Or no, 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 no. Hold on, no, it was. Uh, sorry, it was. No, in two thousand four, they didn't go to that. That was that was in two, that was two thousand three. That was the two thousand two season. So no. Got it. Okay. So in 03 and 08... Oklahoma played an SEC team in the BCS National Championship game, and both games were low scoring. And I was just going to ask, just off the top of my mind, I don't remember being in train. Like, was that 08 game exciting to you all? Because I think I remember being bored as well. Because that what we got from Oklahoma was not obviously not representative of what we had seen from the Sooners the entire year. A credit to Florida's defense, but it's like. It, was that the same storyline that was just put in motion once again, where you just you run into this SEC defense of future NFL players, and they just understand that they can win twenty? Was it twenty one fourteen for the LSU game, twenty four fourteen for the Florida game, where the the highlights are very few and far between? I felt like that was a like like that was a wrinkle of the SEC's dominance in the BCS era was that the title games just weren't all that entertaining. Well, I mean, I you thought- think. Uh, sorry, you think of Oklahoma now and you look at their first starts in the BCS. It was like they had the 13-2 to win over Florida State. They had the 21-14 to loss to LSU. There was the 55-19 game in which they were blown out. But then, yeah, that 24-14 game against Florida, like they were the low-scoring, boring team, which if you compare it to now, what Oklahoma games have looked like in the playoff. They were also used to having played the spread in the Big 12, whereas Urban Meyer sort of brought that style of spread to the SEC. So I feel like they had seen that before and both teams played really good defense there. I, I thought the, the Oh three game where was it? Justin Vincent, I think ran wild for, for LSU. He was a freshman and, and they, they ended up beating him um, or ran wild, but by, by that game standards was, was interesting. Oh, the, you know the, sorry, I'm go ahead, sorry. Tom. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. Uh, no, going back to what the 2004 season, USC played Michigan in the Rose bowl that year. So we kind of had the top four playing each other. It was just the wrong seeds. My bad. Anyways, I, uh, I would like to see 2000, actually. Um, so Oklahoma wins the national title that year, right? Big, Big 12 champion. They ended up playing Florida State in the, in the title game. They, they beat them. FSU only scored two points on a safety. That was when Mark Rick was leaving for, uh, you know, for Georgia. 
I think we've had that discussion on this podcast before. But there were two other teams that I think were basically on the same level as both those teams that year. So Miami was 10-1, and one, Big East champion. And Washington uh, was also 10-1, and one, Pac-10 champion in, in a decent Pac-10, if, if I recall that year. You also had 10-1 and one Virginia Tech and 10-1 and one Oregon State. Oh, hell yeah, Oregon State. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> was that Reeser? Maybe for that? I, I forgot who was the QB for Oregon State back then. I mean, was awesome. it Jonathan Smith? The man is young enough that it really <laughs> could have been Jonathan Smith. Um, so, like, so Washington had actually beaten Miami that year, and Miami had beaten Florida State. Remember the controversy, Danny? Like, should, should Florida State get in over Miami, even though Miami beat them? But Miami had lost to Washington. I forgot who Washington uh, lost to. But you had one 12-0 and three pretty legitimate 10-1s, and, and then two other 10-1s who – if you really squinted, you could you could make a case for like 2000. I think would have been a pretty interesting playoff year, and you'd have great regional diversity. I mean, two from Florida, but also Oklahoma and Washington. It was. I think Jonathan what's interesting Smith too. too. Yes. I think what's interesting too when you talk about this discussion in general, like which one do you wish you had four teams? Is which one do you think might have changed the outcome? You know, like if there would have possibly been a different champion for me, and I'm not saying it would have been a different champion, but the 2011 season, hands down for me, that, that season drove me nuts. And that's when it was one of my first years in the media. And that's when I got pegged as like this anti sec guy. But to me, it was more of, and I know, and I've rehashed this argument a thousand times. Well, how is Alabama's home loss against LSU in a nine, six game, like in Oklahoma state's loss, versus Iowa State, a bad Iowa State team. Like, and we started comparing losses, which seemed like such a loser argument to me. Like, well, what like Oklahoma State had reasons that year too, emotional reasons with the plane crash and all these other things. And yet we just pointed to the dominance of the SEC and said, well, Alabama's got the eye test. We're going to put them back in. We want to see this rematch. But that to me is the season that I would have loved to see the the four teams there. The uh who, who is your fourth? Uh, looking back at that season, I'd put Stanford in there. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you're going to go, I mean, obviously you wouldn't go Arkansas with three sec West teams, uh, right. Maybe Oregon, but Stanford was a one loss team that year. Stanford but finished they didn't the, win their conference. They didn't win the right? conference. Like, yeah. Stanford Oregon, Oregon won, won it at 11 and two. Yeah. You also had 10 and two Arkansas. Right. In the mix. Definitely right ain't going three sec West teams. <laughs> <laughs> in case you didn't know. All right, this uh, next question, let's see, I got it. It's a long one, so we got he, <laughs> we got plenty of uh, preface here. Love the pod. Uh, I'm a Mississippi State fan who's obsessed with the sport at a national scale, and Cover 3 is always a go-to for insight. Danny and Bud have been great additions to, to the show over the last year. Give y'all some of the most well-rounded coverage by any CFB pod. RIP Barton. Not dead. And Hale State. My question today is about Wisconsin. The Badgers have had a program knocking on the doorstep of breaking through for a while now. They consistently reached the Big Ten title game and in 2017 were a win away from making the playoff. Unfortunately for them, their talent level simply isn't there to win at the highest level. And while they can occasionally play Ohio State close, they've yet to be able to pull out a win. While I'm aware this is pretty much as well as Wisconsin can do within the current landscape of the Big Ten, it has been mentioned that with Paul Crist beginning to up the Badgers recruiting level, perhaps that breakthrough could be on the way. But what I'm wondering is if there's another small change that Wisconsin should make their offense. 
I know it's total sacrilege in Madison to suggest breaking away from the formula for success that Barry Alvarez laid out decades ago, and that plan has served the Badgers well. But it's just the reality that in modern college football, the old school three yards in a cloud of dust offensive approach and relying on your defense isn't enough anymore. That may suffice to winning Big Ten West titles, but it clearly puts them in a disadvantage when facing elite teams. Obviously, talent is the most important thing, and Wisconsin is working to improve that. But if they really want to take the next step, should they not look at modernizing their offense? Can I rant here? Nope. Yes. Yeah. There isn't a next step. (laughs) The chance that you go up if you change something up like this is massively smaller than the chance that you go down because you're trying to do the same thing that the elite elite teams do. We talk about if Texas A&M wants to take the next step, they have to be able to throw knockout punches through the air and actually not be 98th, 118th, and 99th in passing explosiveness. But you know what we don't say? Texas A&M wins 9, 10 games doing what they do, playing good defense, running the football. You can win a lot of games like that. Now, for Texas A&M, there is a next step to take, I think, in theory, although I'm willing to acknowledge that 100-something years of history with no titles, maybe I'm missing something there. For Wisconsin, with their recruiting base – There is not a next step. They are awesome because they hit their ceiling constantly. There is not a next step to take. Like, they are never close to having a national championship caliber roster, ever. Like, I do the blue chip ratio, and it's expansive as hell. A lot of smart people think it's way too expansive. Even as expansive as it is, and it's probably too inclusive, Wisconsin never sniffs that. They cannot get national championship quality players at Wisconsin. Like, there ain't no next step to take, guys. Be happy with what you have and keep keep kicking ass with with with, with what you have. Uh, yeah, I mostly agree with that. Uh, first of all, great question. I love the way it was phrased. I love the way it was posed. Just all around wonderful question. Uh, I think that for the most part, yeah, Wisconsin has probably <clears throat> reached its ceiling unless there's some sort of strange recruiting renaissance in Madison that sees a bunch of five-star players flocking north to Madison to play football. I don't see any reason for them to change because it, this is one of those situations where you're having a lot of success as it is. And now it's kind of like, okay, well, what are you hoping to get? Kind of like Bud said, you, you've kind of hit your ceiling in that you're more likely to regress than you are to go forward. If you change anything up that said, Wisconsin's offense did look a little different last year. Um, yeah, I, Graham Mertz might yeah. be the the piece here where, like, the quarterback, all of a sudden you start to say, okay, I, I can start to see how this moves. Because the that first performance from Graham Mertz on that Friday night, I mean, it, was that that couldn't have just been an Illinois thing, right, Tom? Against an awesome <laughs> Illinois defense. Was, I was, was just going to – Was that against again? <laughs> Illinois. Shots Illinois. Fired. Illinois' defense did that for a lot of quarterbacks last year. But just overall, the Wisconsin offense last year, like this is a team that in 2019 ran the ball 62% of the time. Last year, they ran the ball 57% of the time. And I think Mertz has a part of that because this was a team that for its entire history as being what we understand of Wisconsin as right now, it's like, you know, run the ball, play good defense, and, you know, don't screw it up. Lots of play action for the quarterbacks, but it's mostly, you know, game manager type stuff, tight ends and take, take some deep shots once in a while when they're there. But I do think that they feel that they've got a bit more dyna, dyna, dynamism at the QB position with Mertz. And maybe we'll see them open things up a little bit as far as being a pass more, more pass heavy, but I don't think we're going to, they're going to change what they are at their core, which is a, 
good defensive team that runs the ball and takes care of the football and tries to beat you up physically. Don't you think we saw Michigan try to modernize its offense and it hasn't been exactly a smashing success? No, it hasn't. But I do think that it makes more sense for Michigan. Michigan has the ability to get there talent-wise. So I think modernize is... If that's another word for evolve, I think there are tweaks you can make, and you guys both hit on uh, all hit on this, that last year we did see a little bit of a different looking. There were new schemes implemented, and part of that is because Graham Martz, I believe, but he's the highest-ranked quarterback they've had there, right? A four-star? Yeah, and it is worth noting, guys, that they have the last two recruiting classes they've signed are the two best classes they have ever mm-hmm. signed. Mm-hmm. So they are recruiting better under Paul Christ. They are nowhere near recruiting what you need to, to win a national title. Like, that was my point. Like, the next step is what losing one fewer game a year, maybe. I, but they could they could be recruiting more in a level where the Big Ten West doesn't become as open as it usually is. Yes, that I can agree with. And while that then could the, be the next step. there's got to be a shuffle before winning a national championship for Wisconsin, right? Because like like it can't be a step, but could it be a shuffle to where you are competitive, where you beat Ohio State from time to time, where it becomes more or of an a rivalry that knocks out like the <laughs> you know, division? You know, like, <laughs> no, but like I mean. I, I think that like the way that they're recruiting, like I said, I, I, I think that maybe they're closing, they're widening the gap with everybody else a little bit in the West. So I think that they are raising their floor in that they're increasing their chance of winning the division on a yearly basis. And if you're winning the division, that's giving you more shots at Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, which mathematically increases your chance of at some point beating Ohio State, winning the conference and maybe getting a playoff berth. But I think if Wisconsin ever reaches the playoff, it'll probably be as the four seed and it'll probably be as the team nobody's betting on. In a year that Ohio final. State is having a down year. Yes. Yeah. But hey, that's a step. I mean, that's right. one more college football playoff appearance than they have right now. It's a step most programs don't have. A, it's, a, it's a step most programs don't have a faintest hope of achieving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only, was it four teams have 20 of the 28? So I guess we're only dealing with like 11 or 12 teams that have even got a college football playoff appearance so far in seven years. So uh, that would be uh, something for the Badgers. After a seven-month war of attrition, It's the match the world has been waiting for. Manchester City and Chelsea, the UEFA Champions League final. The champions! It's Saturday, May 29th, 3 p.m. Eastern time, streaming live on Paramount+. Plus. The Europa League final was bananas. It went all the way to penalty kicks, all the way through, 10 for 10. The goalies had to take kicks. Sorry, Man U, that was embarrassing. But you are going to be dialed in to Man City and Chelsea Saturday, May 29th, the Champions League final, streaming live on Paramount+. Plus. ParamountPlus.com slash UCL to start your free trial today. That's right. We've been telling you about the mountain of entertainment on Paramount Plus, all the different ways that you can watch the CBS sports events on Paramount Plus. If for some reason you haven't signed up, this Champions League final is the opportunity to start your free trial and watch Manchester City and Chelsea from Portugal. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash UCL. Again, this Saturday, May 29th, 3 p.m. Eastern time, Man City and Chelsea, the Champions League final. That was bananas. Bet on Man City. You said, oh, bet on Man City? Is that just, I mean, they're the best club yeah. in the world. I mean, that any, <laughs> anything more? Like, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not betting the match because I've already got my Man City future, which so that's, that's fine for me enough. But 
Also, if you could find it at your book, again, I this is the, the level of degeneracy I dive into. If you could find the total amount of yellow and red cards, like if it's a range, go four to six. If it's just over under at your book, go over four and a half. By the way, can we shout out Chip for his professionalism yesterday, throwing the commercial break as soon as Tom dropped the red card nugget so we, <laughs> we, we, we could all mute and go bet it? <laughs> That's right. But it did- 90 seconds was perfect. Yep. <laughs> Sadly, it did not hit. We came, no, it so didn't. He was, we oh, were handing out some yellows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was yeah, close. We came close. All right. Uh, next question. Great pod, as always, and a must-follow for anyone interested in learning more about college football or simply want some betting tips. Question. With the betting lines released last week, many around the country have started to discuss the best games of the year upcoming. However, I was wondering, what game do you think is the most important parentheses, most at stake for teams slash conferences, close parentheses. I think it has to be Oregon versus Ohio State. Oregon needs that win not only for the program, but also for the Pac-12. Ohio State with a loss loses some wiggle room to make yet another playoff. So what is the most important, you know, they, these things say games of the year and because it's games of the year, there's going to be uh, all the, the big brand names, all the big kickoff games. But when we're talking about the most important games in terms of teams and conferences, uh, which ones stand out from the 2021 schedule? I love it. I love the way he phrased it too, because biggest games of the year, like Georgia Clemson is awesome, but it is meaningless, right? I mean, either Correct. team could win or lose that game and it's probably not going to make a difference. To their playoff hopes, right? Bet, it's an awesome game. Bet on the loser. Really, bet on the right. loser to win the national championship. Right, exactly. Exactly. That's your, that's your time to buy low. I had circled another game, similar matchup. That one I do think is interesting. That one did cross my mind. The Oregon-Ohio State game for what it means to the Pac-12. Uh, but I think it's the Washington-Michigan game. Similar matchup, Pac-12 versus the Big Ten. But because of Harbaugh and the impact that it could have on him if they lose that game, um, the perception of the Pac-12, all those things matter as well. But I think that game has massive implications for both uh, for both programs. Yeah, I think well it's with the the questioner again great question uh i i think that those two games are huge for the pac-12 in particular because if like if oregon can beat ohio state and washington can beat michigan even if it's you know the national perception of michigan isn't what it used to be that's still a huge statement i think for the pac-12 and i think that is the kind of narrative that if those teams continue to go on to have a playoff worthy season or usc or somebody else has a playoff worthy season those are the kind of wins that can change the actual perception of the pac-12 so i think those are huge games i think another very important game besides those is the alabama a&m game mm. and because i I think that that's a situation where it's kind of like the Georgia Clemson game. The result is going to matter, obviously, but how that result looks, I think, will have an impact too, because we've already seen, you know, non division winners in the SEC reach the playoff. And it's kind of like a Georgia Clemson situation where, depending on how the season goes, and that game is early enough in the season where I'm not sure the loser is eliminated. So I think that is going to be a game that towards the end of the season, when we're starting to try to figure out who that number four team is and who that number five team is, I just, it's, it's a premonition that that game is going to be coming up a lot. Cause like if Texas A&M is sitting there with one loss and it was a close loss to Alabama, there's going to be a lot of people arguing that Texas A&M deserves that number four seed. 
I, I'm actually going to go with with Georgia Clemson for for this reason. First, I I don't know that I really see Oregon as as that legitimate of a playoff contender. But if they won that game, you have to consider them so. But their over under for wins is, is nine, which means mm-hmm. that Vegas is still expecting them to lose two games in the Pac-12 in addition to to losing to Ohio State, which that number is getting bet up every day. So, like, is Oregon really a playoff team? Maybe, maybe they can be. Maybe not. They're in that sort of second tier of possibles uh, for me. But with Clemson, Georgia, if you win that game, you essentially get a mulligan to get into the playoff. You can lose a game because you have such a quality win in your back pocket. If Clemson loses that, they can do, or Clemson wins, they can do that thing where they lose to Pitt on some freaky stuff and still get in. We've seen this this movie before. If Georgia wins. They could lose to Alabama close in the title game and still have a very convincing argument that they deserve to go even as a, as a non-champion. Um, so I, I think just for the mulligan that it takes away, it's it's pretty important. October 2nd, South Bend, Indiana. Cincinnati shows up to play Notre Dame. Because and listen, three and zero Cincinnati well, with a win over Indiana. Indiana, the Indiana is like the the sort of like move here that could definitely trigger it. But if they beat Indiana and they show up to play Notre Dame, here's what the rest of the schedule looks like: Temple and UCF both at home, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, USF, SMU, ECU. We will see whether Cincinnati can handle playing with fire all the way down. But if you want to have the real like. Group because I think Cincinnati will start high enough in the AP poll that it will have a like a, a much higher floor. You're not going to have to climb and jump ahead of a whole bunch of power conference teams to be able to move up the mental power rankings that we all have, that pollsters have, and yes, all of that is going to influence uh, the opinions of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, which won't release their rankings for like another month. So Cincinnati. At Notre Dame, October 2nd, if the Bearcats can get that win, then I think we've got like, we've at least got an earnest debate. It's not a debate that's going to be just because you want to see chaos or just because you want to see a first in the college football playoff era. It will be one where those those two quality wins potentially could make it very interesting. But again, I, I follow that quickly by saying they will have to prove it because while they're going to be favored all the rest of the way, they're college athletes playing with fire and expectations down the stretch. So uh, I think that that would be an awesome storyline. And in terms of like what it could mean for the entire college football picture, if Cincinnati loses that game, it's done. Like we're out. It's, it's probably not going to bounce back. Bowl. That's the, By the way, Nelly bowl. I just want to be clear here. So chip, the most important game of the season with the biggest stakes in your mind is the game between the team nobody's expecting to be a playoff contender this year after all they lost and a team that actually has zero chance of ever being in the college football playoff. I just want to be clear. It's called contributing to the conversation, so you just don't say, ditto, yes, the listener got one, this other one. Like It's it's called rounding it out so that we can put a button on this thing and keep it moving. (laughs) Sorry, bud, you want to say something? Well, I actually think Chip might be onto something here because it's not the most impactful for the playoff race. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the sort of dominoes it could set off, you guys realize in the preseason odds here, USC and Cincinnati have the exact same spread on the road at Notre Dame. They are both three and a half point dogs. If the Irish beat the Trojans and the guy that Mike, Mike Bone used, used to employ at Cincinnati, Luke Fickle, goes in there and beats them with Cincinnati, 
I, I mean, guys, yeah, we could, we're doing here. We could see, do you, do you immediately flip? You've said that, God, man, we're back at it again. So, uh, USC is a coach away. Is Luke fickle that coach? I, I think it's probably, uh, James Franklin, but like, if you, know, you if you were to see. pick, if you're a USC fan, that's at the top of your board. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think as far as coaches go Fred Franklin's on there, I think fickle's definitely on there. It's just, I don't like we've talked about before. I just don't know that USC is like the job fickle's waiting for. Very interesting. It, it also, could, since he is favored at, at Indiana, since he is the favorite at Indiana, they're, they're favored on the road at Indiana. I always thought that the, one of the jobs that Danny. Fickle was waiting for was in South Bend, and it was like, uh, "I'm cool to hang here at Cincinnati." And then Notre Dame can go hire Cincinnati's coach again. That's that's the Danny Bull right there. Exactly. Cincinnati's that's the load up favored. on the Hoosiers in the. Let's go. <laughs> Danny's beloved Hoosiers. <laughs> Coming up on the other side. We've got uh, another coach who's who's been entrenched for a long time. We discussed him a lot here on the coach rankings, and, and we've got a fan that is a little bit curious about what might happen after that coach decides to hang it up. Next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This question comes from Hawks by a Million. New listener, and I love the show. Love the gambling aspects that are sprinkled in and everyone's knowledge of the whole landscape of college football. My question is, if Kirk Ferentz leaves Iowa in the next five years, who would be the potential candidates for the job? Would they go from the Hayden Fry tree with a Stoops brother or a Bielema, or would they go with an outside hire? Also, would the pro-style old-school culture remain afterwards? Thanks, guys, and love the show. Great question. Great. Uh, I mean, it's weird to think about who I would replace friends with because he's been there for like a thousand years, but I, I it's kind of like Wisconsin where it, I feel like the blueprints in place, like for Ferentz came from Fry's tree, Fry's when it kind of started it all. I'd have to think that whoever 
they replace Ferenc with is going to be somebody who's familiar with the program in some way and is familiar with how things have worked for the last 20 years or so because they're going to want to keep that going. And so I don't think it's going to be some outside hire. It might be a hot up-and-coming hot shot as in it's a young assistant on the staff, but I think it's going to be a name most Iowa fans are already familiar with. What about um, Jim from uh, from Wisconsin, the defense coordinator? Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard. Yeah, Isn't, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but I think he's more likely to take over at Wisconsin than he is at Iowa. And I sure. think that if you're Iowa, do you want to hire Jim Leonard and sit there and be like, is he just going to leave for Wisconsin if that job comes open any second? I also thought the uh, the question was phrased interestingly. It kind of posed it as, keeping old school culture and old school pro style offense. And I'm not sure that those are, are tied together necessarily. I think you could keep one or both or, or neither. For the stylistically, you still want the corn fed boys in the line of scrimmage. Uh, yes. I mean, that's yeah. like what, whatever you do has to involve imposing physicality with the players that you have recruited from your area and developed in your program to build them up into some big beef. I mean, we're not going we're not going skinny wide splits at Iowa. That is this thing runs on ethanol, baby. Yeah, yeah. This, I, stylistically, that has to be a part of it because that's just smart and taking advantage of your surroundings. Is Bielema a Fry assistant? Yeah. Okay. He started. He played for Fry, and then he was on the staff there with Ferentz, Uh-oh. and he was he you know Bill Snyder, who was part of that whole Hayden Fry. Bielema was on that staff. Was kind of, yeah, so he's part You're of that nervous? tree for sure. I'm leaving for Iowa more in three years. No, I think I think Bert knows where the real football <laughs> is going to be played from now on. I, is Iowa how selective can they be? Will they have the pick? I mean, how, like, what tier job do you think this is? Like the second tier below the top fifteen jobs. Below that, yeah. I mean, it's it's a solid. Big Ten program, which is going to elevate it over a lot of programs. But I mean, I would say it's solid tier two, but I could also hear arguments for tier three, like the very top of tier three. So, I mean, it's really going to depend on the coach. And I think that it is kind of like for some coaches will probably look at Iowa like, God, no, why the hell would I ever want to coach there? But for some, it make more sense. You know, you, you mentioned something. I think I've realized I hadn't come to this realization before, but we don't get to really know how good a job is until it's open. And so for these jobs that are held by one coach for a really long time, how good of a job is it? TBD. I mean, we we haven't really gotten to test the market in terms of seeing what caliber of candidates are interested, tied to the job, you know, what that pool candidate pool looks like. It gets... It could be a great like you. Depending on what people um, think of Iowa, I think it could be a top fifteen job, absolutely. But I I can't say that with any kind of certainty because they haven't gotten out there on the market to make a run it's at hard. a you know make a run at a Mark Stoops, make a run at a Brett Bielema, make a run at uh what we probably Jay Norvell. Ooh, there you mm-hmm. go. That'd be a good hey, one from Nevada. You guys want to go viral? Yes. All right, Chip, re-ask the question, who should replace Ferentz? So who, five years from now, let's, let's say five years from now, Kirk Ferentz decides he's going to hang up the whistle. Who, five years from now, uh, 
should be Iowa's next head coach? Matt Campbell. <laughs> All right, now clip that and put it on Twitter. Ooh, that, I mean, that could work. Like he knows how to recruit the area. Uh-huh. Iowa, Iowa has more resources than Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, his scheme is very within himself. Better school, really low in the Big Ten West. School better district. logo, better stadium, just better in every single way. If Mark Stoops is willing to leave Kentucky to go to Iowa, then it's a better job than maybe some think. If they end up with Jay Norvell, then it's maybe a little bit lower than you might think. Also, mm-hmm. the the money for these Big Ten jobs to me makes it so that you really can't put them that low. Like we, you know, it was like, hey, where could I win at? Where would I have fun at? Where would be sexy to coach at? But if you're a coach, the, the money does matter. And Fair. you know, it's like fans are like, hey, what's the difference between three million and four million four million? A, a million. Uh, about a million. Twenty five percent. Yeah, right. So, you know, um I I think a lot of these big ten jobs, even though you can't win the big one at them and it's hard to recruit to them, they're still really good jobs because you're getting like your family is set for life if you get one contract at one of these, basically. Pate, was it uh one one contract. Well, that's I was not a one contract job, but I always like no, certainly. I, I build I built on your one contract job theory, and now I call them savings account jobs. You know, or or like you know retirement funds. You know, you're going to be fired, but if you save your money, you know you you make it stretch, and in a lot of these college towns, that money can stretch pretty far. Not to mention the kind of perks that you would get. Eat all, hey, eat all your meals at the meal table and at the restaurants where you get the free, uh, the free dinners. And then all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself with a, a fully funded retirement thanks to, uh, thanks to your buyout checks. Unless you have like a, a, a coke or you know a, a, a um, adultery habit, it's hard to go broke making four or five million bucks in a college town, man. There's just not that much money to spend your money on. I lost a lot of games for this beach house. <laughs> yeah. It's all those, all those moments when you're at the post game press conference and you're so sick of being asked what you're going to do to address the offensive line or get stops on defense. You're just thinking to yourself like new deck new on the boat. beach house. New yeah, boat, new boat, new deck <laughs> on the beach house. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, any other suggestions for who, who would replace Kirk Ferentz at, at Iowa? Paul Christ. <laughs> what about what about Freeman, the DC at Notre Dame? Did a great job at Cincinnati. I I feel like Marcus Freeman is going to be a head coach somewhere soon. I don't know if Iowa is going to be open soon enough for him because I think I, I think he's going to be a power five coach here somewhere soon. I think the Big Ten. I mean, like, oh God, let's go crazy speculation. Let's say Purdue disappoints this year. Jeff Brom gets canned. I think he'd be a great option at Purdue or jobs like that. So I, I don't think he'll be around long enough to replace Ferentz before he gets another job first. Gotcha. Is he the top power five coordinator that is carrying that uh, like in, in line to, uh, to jump up and, and become a head coach soon? I mean, unless Notre Dame's defense tanks this year, I think so. Yeah. True. You think o- over Grinch? No, or Tony well, Elliott? No. Well, see, that's the thing with Tony Elliott. It's like, when it comes to Clemson assistants, they get paid so well. It's like, well, unless the absolute perfect job that they want comes along, they they tend to be okay sticking around. How are how are Iowa's academics? Pretty. God, it's so weird because every they like, they're says, like Notre Dame, no. know, Michigan level. Okay, no, but they're they're pretty solid Big Ten level. Can't get I anybody think because he has more P five experience. Yeah. Is probably ahead of Freeman. Freeman, you know, having done one year, this would be his first year in in you know the P five. 
Um, I don't know. I think Grinch probably over him for Grinch right now. for DCs and Tony Elliott for OCs. Is I was I was really I, don't, I wasn't necessarily trying to rank them, but I was instead looking for that. Just like what it, what's that group look like? The group that seems to be on the launch pad. Where I mean, mm-hmm. Tony Elliott reportedly was interviewing for big time Power Five jobs. You know, this last go round decided to to stay put. I think Alex Grinch is a great suggestion for somebody who might be on the move. You even mentioned that with the uh, if Grinch leaves, that would be a landing spot for like a Justin Wilcox, something like that. That was a good point. All right. Uh, next question. Love the pod. I, I, like most of the college football nation, thought Scott Frost would do well at Nebraska. However, I think it's fair to say he has fallen short of expectations. If he doesn't rebound, how do you think the fan base would respond to Jeff Monken? Return of the triple! Go Vols. So, so, why not run the perfect? Why not do the perfect thing? Bring in Munkin to run your offense. Keep Scott Frost to be the former player that's there, and then you could bring Tommy Fraser back to be the quarterback coach and just relive the glory days. Just make it all go. And then uh, Phillips is life coach. <laughs> uh, I mean. <laughs> I'm obviously a huge proponent for more power five programs to run the option. I don't know if I think Nebraska is a program that really needs to run the option or should consider it. I think they still have enough brand recognition where they can recruit well, obviously, and they've got the facilities and they've got all that. My thing more though is I'm becoming more and more, and this kind of goes back to the Ferenc question about who should replace him. And as far as changing up the formula, I'm becoming more and more convinced that particularly in the big 10 West, spreading things out and getting a bunch of fast guys from Florida and Texas and all that kind of stuff just isn't working. Like if you look through the history of the big 10, aside from Ohio state who has more talent than everybody, what's the program that kind of just spread things out, went more of an up-tempo offense that succeeded Purdue. But have they under tiller? I'm saying, but in the last, Oh, okay. I got you. And that was more of an air raid. You know what I mean? It's like, so I'm just becoming more, I, I think that Nebraska's next coach, if there is a next coach, maybe not go back to the option, but they might want to consider more of the Iowa-Wisconsin model. Stylistically, how, what would you say Penn State has been? Because it's not been crazy tempo. Talent level, though. Outside of the blue chip talent schools. Like, if you have that kind of talent, you can run whatever the hell you want. But I'm just saying, week in and week out in the Big Ten, the teams that don't have that talent tend to have a blueprint for what works with what you can recruit in that part of the country, the players that are available to you. Like you can go into Florida, you can go into Texas, you can dip into California, you can find some guys that fit maybe that, you know, the speed guys, but it's hard to find a program that's had consistent success doing that in the last 20 years in the big 10, that isn't one of the blue bloods. Tom, it's really hard to disagree with you on that. Um, I still think if everybody's doing one thing and you do something different, you may have a schematic advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think if you're going to hire an option coach, it's a hard hire to make because you're basically admitting that you are not going to play for it all. And we can all sit here and think Nebraska is not going to play for it all, guys. Like right. that that era is not coming back. That, and Nebraska is not doing that, though. Yeah. Correct. Their fans and boosters are not willing to admit that, hey, man, we're playing for Big Ten West titles. We're not playing to actually like you know have a chance to win the playoff. Mm. even though they haven't won the Big Ten West in, what, 
Uh, they no, won the one since right? it was the legends yeah, or leaders. They, I can't yeah, remember which yeah. one it was. They, did, they didn't win the Big Ten West. They were they were either a legend just, or a leader. I just remember Taylor Martinez showing up in the uh, the Big Ten title game. I remember sitting up in the press box watching Melvin Gordon run the same fly sweep eighty five times in Nebraska, never once figuring out how. To, oh, it's coming! Here it goes! There he goes! Bye. Yeah. Melvin Gordon runs for like 300 yards or something like that mm-hmm. in that uh, Big Ten title game, Wisconsin and Nebraska. Um, and because we brought that one back when uh, then or ex-LSU defensive coordinator Bo Pelini was getting torched by Mississippi State. Everyone's like, hey, bud, remember, uh, remember when they couldn't stop that one play? Back then, he didn't adjust. Then this one, this one might be a uh, this one might be a pretty long, long day. That reminder: if you want to jump in on a future mailbag episode, you can do so by leaving a five star review. Uh, listen, there were some great questions. Tom told you there were fantastically worded questions. He really appreciated them, uh, and then put in your question within that review. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Canell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott Three. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.